This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, after seven decades of American foreign policy to the contrary, President Trump, as we know, recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and vowed to move our embassy there. But in doing the right thing, the president has come under much fire from the global community, enraging everybody from Palestinian president to Muslim majority countries. Even Britain, France and Italy and Germany weren't too happy about it. And it just proves that Israel remains a target in a dangerous world. But what will the future hold as we examine the current events surrounding the Holy Land in our day? That is what we're going to tackle this hour with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. He is author of over 70 books, including his latest. It's called Israel on High Alert. What can we expect next in the Middle East? So good to have you here, Dr. Rhodes. How are you doing today? Well, it's my pleasure to be with you today. It's uh, always interesting to talk about relevant topics like Israel. Oh, it is indeed. And, you know, I was sort of thinking about this because whenever you're writing a book on a situation that can change within a week or two, it must be a little frustrating saying, I'm putting together the manuscript, but next week something could shift. How do you feel about what you put in the book versus now what's going on with Israel? Has much changed, would you say, between the time that you originally put the manuscript together and now? Well, that's a great question. You know, when you write a book, you want it to be timely on the one hand, but you also want it to contain universal truths. Right. And so I try to, uh, to have a balance between those two in this book. And really, my focus of attention was on the scriptures themselves. Right. You know, regardless of what happens today or tomorrow or, or next year in the Middle East, there are certain things that are very clear prophetically. And the Bible has given us what we might call signs of the times, and these signs basically tell us what the landscape of the world will look like in the future. Yes. And whether that's tomorrow or a decade or two decades or however long, we still have that assurance from Scripture as to what the end times will look like. And one of the things that's very clear is from Zechariah 12, verse 2, which, speaking of the end times, says, Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. Right. Now, just think about that. Who are the peoples that surround Jerusalem? They are Muslim countries. Of course. Uh, in fact, Israel is just about 8,000 square miles, and Israel is surrounded by about 5 million square miles of Muslim and Arab real estate. <laughs> and so God says that Israel, and Jerusalem in particular, is going to be a sore spot in the world, particularly to all the people that surround Jerusalem in the end times. And so that's what I call a universal truth. That's something that's going to be true prophetically, no matter when it occurs. Yes. Now, what's interesting, Janet, is that it just so happens that things are lining up in the Middle East, just as the scriptures portrayed. It's not just Israel, but just as an example, there's also all the Muslim nations which are forging alliances with each other and with Russia, just as Ezekiel 36 through 39 foretold. Yeah. 
And so because of a multiplicity of different factors, uh, it does seem like that we are living in that season of which the scriptures prophetically speak. But of course, Janet, we never want to set dates, do we? No. We never want to set a date because we've had Christians try to do that. And I got to tell you something. Christian leaders have a 100% bad track track record (laughs) when it comes to setting dates on prophetic end time events. So we don't want to do that. Jesus told us not to do it, and that's good enough for me. I agree with you. It's ruined more ministries and created more laughing stocks than I can shake a stick at, and that's just in my lifetime. <laughs> the yeah, and you know, the um, atheists love to write articles in their magazines about this type of thing. They do. And so why give a- ammo to the enemies of Christianity? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why we turn to you, because we know you will never do that. Now, when you're talking about the situation in Israel right now, certainly since 1948, it's been a, a new era because Israel was brought back to the land as foretold in scripture. And you had all these hostile nations around Israel. We've had the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict for many, many years. But now we also have this added issue. And that is something people have been talking about quite a bit in the last few years, the rise of anti-Semitism. This has been discussed, for example, in what's going on in Europe, but even what's going on in the United States, even according to the FBI's hate crime statistics, the largest group that has been the recipient, you know, the victim, I should say, of hate crimes, overwhelmingly it's Jews. But you wouldn't know it by by a lot of the news media. They would tend to make you think that Muslims are the most persecuted group. Not true in the United States. So how do you look at that biblically, the rise of anti-Semitism? Well, you know, it's, it's very clear from particularly the book of Ezekiel, and I'm thinking about uh, chapters 36 and 37, particularly chapter 37, where you have the vision of the dry bones, and I'm sure that you're familiar with this. Yep. But this is a prophecy of Israel's rebirth, and it uh, gives a metaphor of a skeleton with the bones coming back together, and then flesh and muscle coming on the bones and so forth. And this is a metaphor representing the rebirth of Israel as a nation. Mm -hmm. And then what's fascinating is that scriptures go on to say that following Israel's rebirth, there will be Jews that stream back to the Holy Land from every nation in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, that's never happened before. Interesting. It didn't happen in Old Testament times. You know, you, you might remember when Israel was in bondage to the Babylonians, they streamed back to the Holy Land after the, uh, the bondage was over, but they only came from one nation, Babylon. Mm-hmm. Never before have Jews come from all over the world back to the Holy Land, but that has been happening ever since 1948. Now, it's my belief, Janet, that one of the hooks in the jaw that the Lord God is using to accomplish this is anti-Semitism. All over the world, Jews are being persecuted as never before. And as a result of that, Jews are leaving their home countries and heading back to Israel. Mm. And they have a a law of repatriation, which uh, makes you an instant citizen, basically. And so it's a very inviting thing for Jewish people. And, uh, you know, it's really gotten bad. I have to say that uh, anti-Semitism has just become brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us here in the United States are not aware of it because we kind of live in a bubble. Yes. Uh, we're unaware of some of the things that take place in dif- different countries, but it is absolutely brutal out there. It is. And so with uh, Jews moving back to the Holy Land as a result of this anti-Semitism, it's ultimately being a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, which talks about Jews streaming back to the Holy Land from every country in the world. So I think, uh, in my opinion, 
you know, way back when, when this prophecy was written 2,600 years ago, nobody knew that that was going to be one of the causes of uh, Jews streaming back to the Holy Land. But today, all becomes clear. Yeah. You know, we can see what's going on. You're right. Well, and we are very sheltered from this. I, I talk to people often, and I'll read a news story, for example, about how Jews can't even walk the streets in the Netherlands in some part. And I'm, I'm sure it's much beyond that now because they'll get attacked. And, you know, you can't live like that. And it's so sad to hear what they're saying in the news when they're interviewed. We came here because we needed a place to go after the Holocaust and we you know, we moved and we thought we were safe and now we're no safer here than our relatives were in Nazi Germany. We've got to go back to Israel. But as you say, there could be a prophetic element there. I'm convinced of it. And, you know, um, you know speaking of uh, the nations of the world ganging up on uh, Israel, isn't it interesting how often the United Nations continues to condemn Israel? Yes, yes. It is amazing when you look at the numbers. Uh, in fact, um, I have some of the statistics right here with me. Israel has been condemned no less than 62 times. <sighs> now compare that with Syria, 17 times. Unreal. North Korea, eight times. Mm. Iran, five times. But Israel, 62 times. Now, to me, that's a reflection of anti-Semitism. Yes. There are leaders all over the world and nations all over the world that are against Israel. But you know what? To me, that's an illustration of Zechariah 12:2, which tells us that in the end times, Israel, and in particular Jerusalem, will be a sore spot all over the world. And so, to me, I'm not surprised to see this happen. Yes. It would be exactly what I would expect. Uh, if if I had just read the prophetic books and then did an analysis of the current scene around the world, to me, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back with Dr. Ron Rhodes. Israel on High Alert is his book. We'll come back right after this on Janet Mepper Today. This is Janet Mefford. We're joining with Bible League International, a ministry founded in 1938 to send God's Word to Bibleless believers in Asia. Today, you can send a new Christian her very first Bible in her own language and at a level she can understand. Before last year, Malia in Sri Lanka had never heard the name of Jesus. Now she follows him and is determined to share Christ with everyone she meets, even those living in the grips of spiritual darkness who are hostile to the gospel but she needs her own Bible, and you can be the one to center the hope of God's Word. By giving now, you'll also help us meet our shared goal with Bible League of sending 1,200 Bibles to Asia. All it takes is $5, or $100 sends 20 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. It is so important for us as we are reading the Word of God and we're seeing the prophecies there about what will happen as we edge ever closer to the return of Christ and the end times that we keep an eye on Israel. And Dr. Ron Rhodes is great at it. He's out with a great new book called Israel on High Alert, What Can We Expect Next in the Middle East? And you were saying before the break, Dr. Rhodes, something very important, and that is how many times Israel has been condemned by the UN. And of course, you've got the largest voting bloc is the OIC of these Muslim-majority nations that hate Israel. The question for a lot of listeners, though, is we don't really understand why is it that the Muslims hate the Jews so much? And you explain that in your book. Can you explain to people what is going on? What is the source of this conflict between Islam and Judaism? Well, that is a great question, because that basically basically explains the Middle East conflict. You know, once you understand that, it all goes back to 1948. You know, when Israel took the land against all odds. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the early 1940s, there were um, various pastors and uh, students of the uh, scriptures who were talking about the prophecies in the Bible that Israel would one day become born again as a nation. And even in the early 1940s, people were laughing at them. Really? And uh, there you have it, 1948, against all odds, Israel is in fact reborn as a nation. And it all begins right there. Uh, You see, the Muslims believe that that land belongs to them by divine right. And, uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that when Israel moved in and took over the land, they consider that not just a political move, but a religious move. And it's an insult to Allah. It is their belief that once the land comes under Islamic control, the land must forever remain under Islamic control. Mm. And you know what's interesting about all this, uh, Janet, is that theology comes into play here. And I'm talking about both uh, Jewish theology, which would also be Christian theology in in the sense of the Old Testament, but also Muslim theology. And what I'm talking about is this. The Jewish people say that that land is theirs by divine right. In the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham and his descendants a land with very specific borders. Yes. And that land promise is repeated in almost every single Old Testament book. I mean, it's just repeated over and over again. And so the Jewish people believe that this is a promise from God. That land belongs to them as a promise from Yahweh. Yes. By contrast, you've got the Muslims also saying that God has promised that land to them. They say that Allah promised the land to them. And what they basically say is, is that the Jews went in and changed the Old Testament. You see, it used to say that that land was going uh, from Abraham to Ishmael to the Arab people, but the Jewish people changed it. (laughs) 
and they changed the line of promise, you know, to include Isaac and Jacob. Right. And so that's how they explain it. And, you know, um, the Muslims who made that up, you know, they know better, but your average Muslim does not know that, and they believe that it's absolutely true, that, that the Jewish people have changed the Old Testament for their own benefit. Now, this is one of the things that so many politicians miss today, Janet, because this is not just a political issue. This is a religious issue. Yes. And both sides believe that God has promised that land to them. And for that reason, neither side is about to budge. Israel's not going to budge and give up the land, and neither are the Muslims going to back off from their attempts to reclaim that land. And I think that's going to be one of the motivations for the uh, Ezekiel invasion. And that's an invasion in which Muslim countries will join with Russia and attack Israel. Mm. Now, there's one other point real quickly, and that is that Israel is rich. Israel is a rich country. In fact, the text in Ezekiel 38, verse 13 says that these invading countries want all the silver and gold and livestock out of Israel. And it might even include uh, oil and gas. Yes, right. You see, and so all of these things are coming into play in terms of this motivation to uh, to move against Israel. And so, um, you know, I, I'm all for trying to have peace in the Middle East, and we ought to keep trying to have peace in the Middle East. But given this background that I've just shared with you, you can see the difficulty, can't you? Oh, of course, of course. Well, first of all, the claim that the Jews changed the Old Testament, the Jews precede the Muslims by many, many centuries. Why would the Jews have to redo the text? It would be the people who came later that are coming up with a new version, not the older people. Well, that's right. And and there's a lot of points that you can make about that. You know, if the Jewish people changed the Old Testament, why didn't they change all the embarrassing episodes found yeah. in the Old Testament? <laughs> right. You know, there and you uh, besides that, the manuscripts that we have are just unbelievable. In fact, uh, we have um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we discovered two copies of the book of Isaiah, which were a thousand years earlier than the previous books of Isaiah that we had. And there's one thing that we discover. And that is that they're 95% identical, and the only differences basically are different spellings of proper cities and proper names and so forth. Amazing. And so when you keep in mind that those manuscripts precede the time of uh, Muhammad by virtually hundreds and hundreds of years, there's no way that Muslims can make that argument. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about all of these years that we've had United States presidents wanting to broker a peace deal in the Middle East. And and there are a lot of people who've been watching this, like you, who especially focus on Bible prophecy, saying, uh, ultimately, we know how this is all going to end. But it's been Israel over and over and over that has made concessions. That's the interesting thing. Israel makes concessions. Well, we'll give this land. Well, you know, we'll do this. We'll do that. It is the other side that makes no concessions. So it seems when you have this tempest in a teapot, it has to explode. The question is, from the biblical perspective, what needs to precede that invasion, that Ezekiel invasion that you've been talking about? Well, you know, there's a a lot in Scripture that talks about all of this, and, uh, you know, among other things, a a very important factor is that Israel um, basically has to be at peace in the land. Hmm. And the question is, what constitutes peace in the land? And there's basically two arguments here. One argument says that Israel is already at relative peace because of her tremendous army and air force. Yes. Israel has one of, the, one of the strongest armies and air forces in the world, and they've been able to, to defend themselves. 
And for that reason, they've got relative peace. And in that viewpoint, the invasion could really take place, uh, you know, even prior to the tribulation period, which is that seven-year period that precedes the second coming of Christ. Now, there is another viewpoint which says that Israel will not have peace until the Antichrist, this leader that uh, emerges over um, with, with, the, with the revived Roman Empire, that this leader will sign a covenant with Israel. And actually, the text in Daniel 9 says that he will sign a strong covenant. Why does it say strong covenant? Well, it's going to be backed by military strength. Hmm. And so there's a lot of Bible scholars who think that when the Antichrist signs his covenant, he's going to guarantee protection for Israel and back it by the might of the revived Roman Empire so that no one would dare attack Israel. Now, of course, we all know the Antichrist is going to double-cross Israel. We know that from the scriptures. But this could lead to that state of temporary peace, which uh, would precede the invasion. What I find interesting about all this, uh, Janet, is that even today, the nations that are stipulated in Ezekiel, such as uh, Iran and Sudan and Libya and um, you know all the Stan nations, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, all the nations basically around the uh, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and Russia called Ross in Scripture, all of these nations are building alliances with each other. Yeah, they are. And so it seems like the stage is being set for this invasion even now. And, and you know, again, we don't want to set any kind of dates or, or even guess as to when it's going to happen. But isn't it interesting that already there are alliances between these nations and there is already a very strong motive for these nations to attack Israel? Absolutely. And I might mention to you, you know, some people might be surprised to see the Russians joining with uh, uh, Israel in attacking um, or, or joining with the Muslim nations in attacking Israel, but it's already basically happened. You know, um, in fact, you know, back in the 1970s, when you had a number of Muslim nations move against Israel, you know, the United States was backing Israel, and they discovered that Russia was actually providing the Muslim nations with all the weaponry and the intelligence and all that kind of stuff. And see that, you know, the precedent's already been set. They've already worked together against Israel. And so when this major invasion that Ezekiel speaks about takes place, it's just going to be bigger and badder, basically. That's interesting. Well, and I go back to something you said earlier when you were quoting from Ezekiel thirty-eight thirteen about the countries may be invading Israel and attacking Israel because Israel is a rich country and it wants what Israel has, perhaps even oil. And you think about Russia. I mean, Russia has had its own economic problems. So could that be part of the motivation here that Israel has a lot of stuff that we might want? Well, there's no question about it, and there's also the point that uh, Russia has been seeking to build up as, as really being the major player in the Middle East. And, you know, um, there's a number of things that you could point out there. You know, Russia's been very active in Syria, as you know. Yes. And, yes, you know, Syria is right there on the border of Israel, so Syria would be a natural route through which this invasion could actually go into Israel um, but the thing of it is, is that Syria is not explicitly mentioned as being one of the invaders, but in Ezekiel 38, it does stipulate that in addition to the, the, the nations that are mentioned, there will be many other peoples with you. Hmm. And that could very well include Syria. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly Russia has its own problems. That's one of the reasons why it signed a 25-year agreement with Iran. Yeah. Iran's got a lot of oil money. Yes. And Iran has agreed to pay half a billion dollars annually to the Russians 
in order to purchase military equipment. And so, you know, that's happening right now. And and for the first time in history, uh, Iran has made its airfields available to Russia so that Russia can consequently uh, move against the Syrians with greater ease. Incredible. You see, and so all of this is just taking place and lining up, just like the ancient prophets spoke about. You're so right. Well, we're going to take another break. Dr. Ron Rhodes with us. Israel on High Alert is his book. We'll come back on Janet Mefford today. Don't go away. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford today. My guest is Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries and author of Israel on High Alert. What can we expect next from the Middle East? And there is an awful lot going on in Israel and the surrounding countries. A lot of alliances being formed, a lot of things being set up. We don't know exactly when that Ezekiel invasion that is prophesied in the book of Ezekiel will take place. But Dr. Rhodes, when it does take place... What do we know about how it goes? Because you had already quoted earlier Zechariah 12.2. I've got the New American Standard Version. Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling, is how my version says, to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. Can we tie that verse to the Ezekiel invasion when we're interpreting Bible prophecy? Oh, I think you can. Um, you know, I'll tell you the verse that comes to my mind, though, is Isaiah 54, verse 17 in which God promises his people, no weapon turned against you will succeed. Will prosper, right. And so when you look at that, you know, um, God uh, is keeping his eyes on Israel. He who watches over Israel will not sleep or slumber. God sees everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just try to picture in your mind this invasion taking place. Like I said earlier, Israel is just 8,000 square miles. And you've got 5 million square miles of Muslim and Arab real estate surrounding Israel and this massive force of people is moving against Israel, and Israel does not stand a chance. Right. I mean, numerically speaking, there is no way that Israel stands a chance. Now, one of the very interesting things that we see is that when this invasion takes place, the text of Scripture says that God gives a testimony of himself mm. so that all the people of the world know that he's God. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because when you witness like millions of Muslims invading Israel, shouting Allah Akbar, and they're you know obviously seeking to exalt Allah, and they think they're going to win because of Allah, and then the one true God destroys that invading force that had been shouting out Allah Akbar, mm-hmm. and then God says in Ezekiel thirty-eight twenty-three, I will show my greatness and holiness. And I will make myself known to all the nations of the world, and they will know that I am the Lord. And then of the invaders, in in Ezekiel 39, of the invading Muslims, it says, they will know that I am the Lord. 
And so God is giving a testimony of himself over against this false deity. Now, how does God do it? How does God defeat this invading force? Well, he does it by four means. You know, God is a um, God that's not just in, in control of human affairs, but also the natural world. And we know that all throughout Scripture. So one of the things God is going to do is cause a massive earthquake. Hmm. The earth will literally open up and swallow a lot of the, army, you know, the armies. Hmm. And then secondly, God is going to cause infighting among the invading troops. Yeah. There's going to be friendly fire. And the way that I think it'll probably happen, Janet, is that it's going to be the Russians and Muslims firing at each other. Mm, that makes you sense. Know, that would be the most natural interpretation there. Right. But they're going to be killing off each other just in mass. And then, understandably, with all these bodies lying around, there's going to be, number three, the outbreak of disease everywhere. And keep in mind that uh, in the midst of any kind of a war, uh, corridors of transportation are always destroyed first. So it's not going to be possible to get medicine and medical supplies and doctors to those uh, soldiers who are wounded and dying quickly. So they're, they're going to just be laying out there dying. And there's going to be a lot of disease, and some have speculated the possibility of bi- biological warfare as yeah. well. Yeah. And then finally, God is going to send torrential rain and hailstones and fire and burning sulfur upon the invading forces. And then God goes on to say that he will then send fire on Magog and on, and on all your allies who live safely on the coastlands. And that would probably include the Soviet, the former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all the uh, countries that used to make up the Soviet Union. Yes. And so God is going to take out this Muslim invading force. Now, here's why it's significant, Janet. If this invasion takes place prior to the tribulation, which is entirely possible, it's entirely possible, that makes it much easier for the Antichrist to sign a covenant protecting Israel because there's no longer a big Muslim threat. True. Secondly, it makes it much easier for the Antichrist to be catapulted into world dominion. Keep in mind, the Muslims want a worldwide caliphate. They would never go for an Antichrist in control. But with the Muslim forces taken out, it makes it much easier for him to emerge into world power. Third, it makes it much easier for the false religion of the end times to emerge, because the two people groups that would stand against that world religion are now gone. The Christians have been taken out at the rapture, and these Muslim invading forces have been taken out in the Ezekiel invasion. So to me, it just appears to fit together like pieces of a puzzle. Isn't that interesting? So now this is, as you are stating, that the rapture will have already occurred. Christ will have already taken his people. And now all of this will occur. So what do you expect, based on what Scripture says, about what will go on when the Antichrist does make this covenant with Israel and does double cross Israel? How does it flow from there? What happens from there? Well, it's interesting because uh, the Antichrist is going to allow Jewish sacrifices uh, in the rebuilt temple. And by the way, everything is in motion right now for that rebuilt temple. Mm. Let me just mention real quickly that all the artifacts and and, um, clothing is already being pre-manufactured for the temple over in Israel. Uh, The Sanhedrin has been reestablished. And of course, that's important because the Sanhedrin um, uh, chooses the high priest I mean, and also the Sanhedrin has called for architectural plans to be drawn up and is now raising money. Oh, goodness. And so this doesn't even have to, has to be built until the tribulation period, but already we see things in motion. In any event, the Antichrist will allow Jewish sacrifices for the first half of the tribulation. But at the midpoint, everything goes wrong for the Jewish people. 
the Antichrist no longer allows sacrifices in the Jewish temple because now he alone sets himself up as the object of worship. He wants the whole world to worship him as God. And what Jesus says in Matthew 24 is, is that when you as a Jewish person see that happen, and when you see the temple defiled by the Antichrist, don't even go home and pack your bags. Run for your life. Get out of Jerusalem quick. That was what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse then in Matthew 24. That's right. And Matthew 24 and 25 is um, a, a tribulation context. The entire two chapters there deal with the tribulation period. And it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives when he was delivering these prophecies to his followers. And so uh, you're right. Uh, Jesus talked about this, and uh, it's it's parallel to the book of Revelation, which says that God will give his people the wings of an eagle to escape. Mm. Now, that's the same language that was used to speak about God's deliverance of the Jewish people from Egyptian bondage. Yes. The wings of an eagle. Yes. So it's it's likely that they're going to be someplace, maybe Basra, maybe Petra, You know, it's going to be a place where God is going to protect the Jewish remnant for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And if I might say so, at the very end of the tribulation period, the the forces of the Antichrist are actually going to be moving against this remnant. Hmm. And it's at that point that the Jewish remnant finally recognizes that Jesus indeed is the promised Messiah. Yes. And they call out for him. They call out his name. And a lot of people don't recognize that the second coming is a rescue mission, <laughs> but in <laughs> fact, in a sense, it is. You know, there's more to the second coming than just that, but that's a big part of it. And of course, Christ Christ comes again and slays the forces of the Antichrist and uh, invites the, the, the redeemed Jewish people straight into his millennial kingdom at that point. Well, now, would this be in, in tandem with Romans chapter 11 that talks about Israel not being cast away? Do those passages fit together? Exactly. Okay. You're right on target there. Romans okay. 9 through 11, Paul is talking about how God still has a plan for Israel, and that right now Israel has a uh, basically a judicial hardening of the heart. Mm-hmm. It's a blindness, a judicial blindness of the heart. But that blindness is going to be lifted at the very end of the tribulation period, and the Jewish leaders will actually lead the Jewish people in recognizing Jesus as the divine Messiah. And so it's glorious when you think about it. I I suspect that if it's going to be filmed, it's going to go viral. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I want to see it. I don't know if I'll get to, but I'd love to see that. Yeah, me too. That would be a wonderful thing. Well, there's more to talk about, and we are discussing Israel on High Alert, the name of the book by Dr. Ron Rhodes. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. We'll return right after this. The Ministry of Preborn is dedicated to helping save preborn babies from abortion through ultrasound and even in this time of national crisis. Preborn is there. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. No college classes and sheltering in have led to an explosion of unplanned pregnancies. Women are panicked about their pregnancies and wanting to abort. Our crisis line is the busiest it's ever been. Here's Catherine, one of our crisis line operators. Girls are scared and often seeking abortion as an easy way out. Girls are often desperate 
being pregnant in this pandemic. With your help, we are able to be here for them. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call 855-402-BABY. Thank you. This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. That's the theme of our new campaign. And our shared goal is to send 1,200 Bibles, both to new believers and to those who've been praying many years for their own Bible in countries like China, India, and Nepal. Imagine strengthening the faith of a new believer in China like Washi, a 30-year-old wife and mother of two who overcame illiteracy two years ago and is yearning to read her very own Bible. Or Jirish, an 80-year-old man in India who followed Hinduism for decades, but is now a new Christian determined to follow Jesus Christ. You can join the Janet Mefford listening family in sending a Bible for only $5 or $20 for $100. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today, talking with Dr. Ron Rhodes about Israel on high alert. What can we expect next in the Middle East? Such a great book. I love all your books, Dr. Rhodes. You know that. I'm going to fangirl you a little bit. But this is so vital that people understand this Bible prophecy because we could be living in these days where some of these events unfold before our eyes. One of the questions I had for you, though, was related to what you just said in the previous segment. When you talked about the end of the tribulation, when this Jewish remnant, finally, the blinders are off, the Lord removes the blinders, they turn to Christ as their Messiah. Why did they do that? If you have no Christians left, is there gospel preaching at the end of the age, or how does that occur? Do we know? Well, there is going to be a gospel preaching uh, during the tribulation period, and that will no doubt have some effect on this remnant. And I'm talking about two different ways that gospel is preached. Number one, uh, we read about in Revelation 7 and 14, about 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Right. Now, you have to keep in mind the Old Testament backdrop, because God called Israel, the Jewish people, to be a light unto the Gentiles, a light unto the Gentiles. They were supposed to tell the good news about God to all the nations of the earth. Problem is, they didn't even recognize that Jesus was the divine Messiah. Mm -hmm. So they weren't very well, um, you know, a a light unto the Gentiles. But during the future tribulation period, these 144,000 Jews, with 12,000 from each tribe, will fulfill that mandate, you know, uh, originally given to Israel. Mm. And they will preach what's called the gospel of the kingdom. And it's called the gospel of the kingdom because uh, it's the good news about Jesus Christ and that Jesus is coming soon to set up his kingdom on the earth, the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that by believing in him, you become a part of his, his people. And so that's going to be preached all over the earth, and God is going to superly, supernaturally protect those witnesses. Now, unquestionably, a lot of the Jewish people who are part of this remnant will have heard about that. And then secondly, according to Revelation 11, there are two Jewish prophets that have the same powers as Moses and Elijah. And these prophets do incredible miracles testifying to the true God. And you have to keep in mind that miracles in the Bible always testify to the speaker and his message. Mm -hmm. 
So when the apostles and the prophets were on the scene, they always did these miracles, which testified that they were true spokesmen for God and that what they said could be trusted. And so, you know, these two prophets are going to speak forth God's truth during the tribulation, and they're going to verify the truth of what they say by these tremendous miracles. And so, end result, many, many people are going to become believers in those days. Revelation 7 calls it a great multitude. You could also translate that as a vast crowd. Hmm. But I think what happens is, is that even though some of these Jewish people in the Jewish remnant have heard this gospel, those blinders are still on, those judicial blinders. But God said it was only a temporary thing. You know, God in the book of Romans said it was a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. It was to make the Jewish people jealous of the Gentiles coming into salvation, and that one day that blindness would be removed. The timing of that blindness being removed is quite clearly the end of the tribulation. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as that happens, um, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit's going to be involved. And those leaders, the Jewish leaders, are going to lead the, the people into national repentance and confession and in recognition of Christ the Messiah, and they're going to cry out to him for deliverance. Mm. And the deliverance comes quickly. Oh, my. That's going to be quite a day. Well, when we're talking about current events, as I mentioned at the outset of the program, we have a very Israel-friendly government right now in the United States, not so much in the previous eight years, but now we do. Many people will point out in Bible prophecy, we never see America mentioned. We never see any references to the United States. And some Bible prophecy experts say that's because the United States is going to be obliterated or or some such, whatever they happen to think the opinion might be on the United States in the future. But will any other country stand with Israel during the Ezekiel invasion? Does the Bible say anything about that at all? Well, it does. In fact, um, the scriptures are very clear in Ezekiel that not a single nation stands with Israel. There it is. And so you have to wonder why. You know, it, the United States has been the ally of Israel for just such a long time. Yes. And so why is it that the United States is not mentioned? And a lot of uh, people think that there's going to be a shift in the balance of power during the tribulation period, a shift towards a revo- revived Roman Empire where the Antichrist rules, oh, man. and that the United States will be subsumed into the globalism under the Antichrist, you know, and... Uh, basically become, you know, one of the puppet leaders of the Antichrist, just like so many other countries will be um, basically puppet governments of the Antichrist. Um, some people think that America will weaken in the end times, and that's hard for me to say because I'm a patriot, you know, yeah. I love this country. Yeah. But, I mean, we are in trouble. Um, we've got a, a severe moral and spiritual problem in this country. Yes. It's always possible that nuclear jihad could be la- launched against this country, especially if Iran gets its hands on nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. which they're on course to do. There could be an EMP attack, which would take out all electrical components in the United States for a period of a year or more. Right. And when you consider the fact that, that means there's no trans- transportation, you know, with electronic transportation, that means no more food coming to your store, yeah. no more refrigerators to keep it cold and to keep it fresh. No more, uh, you know, um, prescription, uh, you know, pharmaceutical drugs coming to your pharmacy. None of that. All that's over. And unless you're good at farming, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. Yes. A lot of people don't recognize that uh, the water faucet depends upon electricity as well. That's, that's, what, right. that's, how, that's how you get the water up in the high towers. That's right. So on day three, there is no more water in the faucets. <laughs> there is no more flushing of the toilets. I mean, it's just over at that point. So a lot of people are concerned about that, and our own government is considering this issue very carefully today. Or it could be the rapture, Janet. 
you know, once the rapture takes place, you're going to have a whole lot of people that are no longer here, including all of the pro-Israel Christians. True. And once that happens, anti-Semitism kicks into very high gear. Yeah, that's an important point. That's an important point. Well, Well, we don't know exactly. But now you talk about in your book, the redeemed Jews and Gentiles in the New Jerusalem. So what is ahead in that regard? Well, I love this part because uh, there's a great future ahead for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. The present heavens and earth will pass away. Scriptures are very clear about that. It's going to be by a great fire. But God is going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. Now, there's three heavens. The highest heaven is God's heaven, and that doesn't have to be rebuilt at all. But the first heaven is Earth's atmosphere, and the second heaven is interstellar space. Those will all be done away with and burned away, and God will create a new heavens and a new earth, and it's on the new earth that this eternal city called the New Jerusalem will rest upon. And redeemed Christians who are all resurrected and redeemed Jews who are resurrected will live in this eternal city for forever and ever. The way I like to put it to people is, is that we as believers will have resurrection bodies and will live on a resurrected earth in a resurrected universe. (laughs) And that's all due to what Jesus has done for us. And a lot of people don't recognize this, but you know who the creator of that eternal city is? It's Jesus himself. Of course. You know, Jesus told his followers in John 14, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And so he's the one who's building that. And that's significant because we know that Jesus is the creator of the entire universe. Take a look at John 1.3, Colossians 1.16, 1 Corinthians 8.6. All these verses talk about how all of the stars and planets in our universe were created by Jesus. And if you're impressed by the stars when you look up at night, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) I know. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And a sin-free new heavens and new earth. Oh, that's right. That's one of the best parts about it. And Satan will be quarantined. Uh, There's not going to be any more death or suffering or pain. No sin to make us have broken relationships with each other. We'll no longer have bodies that get old or have hair falling out or kidney problems or heart disease or anything like that. And so it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it really is. How do you see the landscape right now among evangelicals in terms of the interest in Bible prophecy that, that you outline in your book? Because I, I just every time I talk to you, I just want to talk about this with every Christian I meet. Do you find there is any increasing interest in these subjects right now? I think that there is a lot of interest, and I think there's kind of a a difference of opinion. There's kind of a split among Christians. There's a certain segment of Christians that are very, very interested in this. And uh, when I go around speaking at different conferences and stuff, I mean, they just come out in the droves. You know, (laughs) they just come out, and I love meeting them and talking to them. That really puts wind in my sails when I get to meet all these people out there. But there's another group of people out there who are either what you might call prophetic agnostics. They're just not sure about anything. And then secondly, there are those who subscribe to what's called replacement theology. Yes. And those are the ones, those are the Christians who believe that all the prophetic promises made to Israel in the Bible were fulfilled in the church and that God has no future for Israel. And so uh, I I think that that viewpoint is, is wrong. I think it's off base. I think it does not interpret Scripture the way it's intended to be interpreted. 
And so one of the points in my book is I'm trying to reach those folks too. Well, that's great. And they can (laughs) do so by reading Israel on high alert. What can we expect next in the Middle East? Dr. Ron Rhodes, you can check out his website at ronrhodes.org. It always goes fast, Dr. Rhodes, but I loved having you back. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. God bless you. Again, the name of the book, Israel on High Alert. Read the Bible, understand the Bible prophecy. Good things are ahead. Thanks so much for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Meffer today was brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Thank you so much.